that your baby boy would one day walk on water. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you've kissed your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb. Mary, did you know that your is Lord of all creation. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? This sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Thank you, Kelsey. Somebody said uh, the clock got turned back about 15 years. I'm preaching and Kelsey's singing. I'm really indebted to Don and Kelsey. I had my 15 minutes of fame on the internet because of their wedding. You seen that? Yeah. Well, the guys on uh, some of Don's friends uh, put a little trick on them. And uh, anyway, you'll have to get on the internet and see it. But uh, I appreciate that. And believe it or not, within a matter of two or three years, David Coker is going to have two PhDs in his family. Can you believe that? <laughs> Kelsey's working on hers now at Vanderbilt, and of course her son, her husband Don already has his PhD and teaching out in Oregon, and uh, glad to have him home visiting, I'm sure. For those of you who are wondering, I have been doing something for the Lord the past 10 months when I haven't been here. Uh, I've been preaching at uh, South Fork Church of Christ over by Rochester in between ministers, and this morning... 
The reason why I can be here is because they are going to decide today as a congregation to call a candidate who is going to be preaching. And, and uh, so i uh, just going to say a little prayer about that. And it'll be a, later on this morning when they have their congregational meeting. But it's been a good uh, experience to get to know those folks and to, to really, in, in, in rural congregations these days, uh, it's hard. It's harder than it has been in a long time to, re, to have the leadership that you need to help you to grow. And they're anxious to do that. And they've, I think, calling a man who will, who will lead that. And, uh, one more thing before I get to preaching. Yes, I've had the young at heart surgery. I had my cataracts done in November and December. And so I don't need my glasses, but I, I've, I've, I've uh, gotten my notes a couple of more up the scale in size so I can see. But no, I, I have, and uh, the only bad thing about it is my glasses used to cover my wrinkles. Now they don't. Well, here are the top 10 Google searches so far this year worldwide. Number 10, Kate Spade. In June, this fashion designer was found dead at 55 in her New York City apartment, apparently from suicide. Number nine, Steve Hawking. In March, Steve Hawking, the theoretical physicist and atheist, died at the age of 86, or 76. This one I had to look up on the internet on how to spell it, or how to pronounce it. XXT Tentacion, a rapper who was shot dead in his car after leaving a motorcycle dealer in South Florida. Number seven, Anthony Bourdain, the host of CNN's Parts Unknown, was found dead in, his, in June in what was ruled a suicide. Meghan Markle, anybody not know the name Meghan Markle? Married Prince Harry and probably the most discussed wedding of the year. And Black Panther, number five, the movie that featured the first superhero as an African-American in the lead role. Stan Lee, number four, the former president and chairman of Marvel, Comic, Marvel Comics, died in November at the age of 95. Mac Miller, number three, the rapper, died in September of an overdose of drugs and alcohol at the age of 26. Number two, I had to look this one up too, Avicii. The Swedish DJ and producer, his real name is Tim Bergling, known by his stage name Avicii, died also by suicide at the age of 28. And number one, the World Cup. In June, the biggest prize in international soccer was won by, do you, you, anybody know that? The French. French won. Does anything stand out in that list of the top 10 searches, Google searches? Seven out of the ten were about death. And of those, three were by suicide. One was murdered. One died of a drug and alcohol overdose. Two by natural causes. Also, seven of the ten were about someone in the entertainment business. Movies, rappers, television personalities. Our culture seems to be overdosing on entertainment these days. What concerns me about that is that it's also somewhat, in some cases, leaked into the church as well. Where it seems to some have the idea that if you're going to get people in the church, you're going to have to entertain them. When, that, when you start doing that, then you've got to keep ratcheting up the entertainment in order to get them to come back. Until pretty soon, that's the only thing that keeps them coming back. Or as the maxim I learned several years ago concerning methods of evangelism, what you win them with, you win them to. 
So if you attract people with entertainment, you will keep them solely through entertainment, not through service to Christ and his church. I've often read statistics about how church members first came to the church of which they are now a member. The Institute for American Church Growth once asked 10,000 people that very question. Answers? 1% said it was through somebody calling on them, visitation. 2% they had some kind of special need that drew them. 3% they were walk-ins, just off the, you know, looked it up on the internet or something. 3% Uh, some kind of special program that was going on in the church, 5% Sunday school, 5% an evangelistic crusade, 6% the pastor, they didn't like his preaching or perhaps his personality. 79% started to come to the church because of a friend or a relative. Which means the church needs more people like the Apostle Andrew. Turn with me to John chapter 1 beginning verse 35. I'm going to read a little bit about Andrew here, early in Jesus' ministry. And uh, come to see some ways that we can follow in his steps of reaching out and introducing others to Jesus. Beginning verse 35 of John 1. The next day, again, John was standing, that's John the Baptist, with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came, and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Andrew decided to become a follower of Jesus because his teacher, John the Baptist, pointed out that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Then Andrew immediately told his brother Simon Peter about Jesus and brought him to introduce him to Jesus. And while very little is known about Andrew in Scripture, what we do read about him is usually a time when he's bringing someone and introducing them to Jesus. For example, in John 6, when Jesus saw a great crowd that had gathered, he asked, where are we going to buy bread that all these people may eat? And Andrew Andrew spoke up and said, there is a boy here who has five small barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? So Jesus then took the loaves and fish, fed over 5,000 people. That's probably more like 10,000. It was Andrew, however, who introduced the boy to Jesus. Again, in John chapter 12, just after Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time leading up to his crucifixion, some God-fearing Greeks wanted to come and and meet him and and talk to him. Philip uh, was the one they came to, probably some say because he had a Greek name. And then Philip went to Andrew, who also had a Greek name, and the two of them then went to Jesus with this request. So once again, Andrew is involved in introducing someone to Jesus. That's why I say we need more in the church like Andrew. More who are willing to reach out to others to simply introduce them to their Lord. 
Just imagine if we had a church full of people where each one of us was reaching out to introduce them to Je- one, that one person to Jesus, every one of us, just one person in 2019. What a difference would that make? My challenge today is that every one of us will make a commitment to reach out to at least one other person this year. For some of you, that will not change what you're doing already. Just ratchet it up a little bit. For others, it will be an adventure, and that's okay. We need to be stepping out sometimes outside our comfort zones to be able to carry out what God has called all of us to do. Introduce them to the Master. So what will it take to have more people like Andrew, each one reaching one? It will take someone who is passionate about reaching one. In their book, One Month to Live, Carrie and Chris Shook wrote, nothing great ever happens without passion. The driving force behind all masterful art, all moving music, all classic literature, all powerful dreams, all stunning architecture is passion. Passion propels athletes to break records. Passion pushes scientists to discover new cures for diseases. Passion is what gives life to uh, to life. God intends for us to live passionately. Did you notice what the text that we read earlier said about what Andrew did after he spent a day with Jesus in verse 41? It said the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon. The first thing. That demonstrates passion. And once Andrew was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, he couldn't wait to seek seek out his brother and tell him. His coming to know Jesus created that kind of passion that made him want Simon Peter to have it as well. Famed dog dog sled racer D.D. Jonrill had a passion for her sport. It was uh, the Iditarod, the sledding. Her passion was her dogs, her lord, and Both of those carried her through many challenges. In October of 1996, for example, she was involved in a fatal accident which claimed the life of her grandmother and left her and her husband, Mike, with life-threatening injuries. A few years later, Dee Dee was diagnosed with breast cancer and went a double mastectomy, followed by months of harsh chemotherapy. But despite taking her last dose of chemo in January 2003, she started in the Iditarod four weeks later. She had a passion. It was sheer determination that got her across that finish line in 18th position in Nome that year. Just before competing in her 27th Iditarod, she said, I am a five and a half year cancer survivor and doing well. It was quite a struggle. My strength is in my faith. I do not understand why things happen like this, but I believe it's an imperfect world that God, not the one God intended for us. Whatever God gave you as a passion, Try to allow yourself as much time in that area as possible. The Apostle Paul certainly had a passion to reach his generation for Christ. He said in the Ephesian letter to the the Ephesian elders just before leaving for Jerusalem where his life might be at stake, he said, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God of God. Listen to that same verse paraphrased in the message. What matters most to me is to finish what God started. The job the master Jesus gave me of letting everyone know I meet, know all about this incredibly extravagant generosity of God. 
What a passion. A passion to do whatever it took to complete his job description as he had received from Jesus himself to tell everyone he possibly could about the incredibly extravagant generosity of God. What does it take? What does it take for us to have that kind of passion? To be motivated to introduce people to Jesus. Well, it will take someone, first of all, who is committed to the truth that everyone needs the Lord. There's a popular notion today in this age of tolerance and inclusiveness that everyone will ultimately be saved, that all religions worship the same God and they're all going to the same place just by a different route. The technical term for it is universalism. Although most Christian churches do not teach universalism, some function as if they do. Because they have, no, they have no passion to share the good news of Christ with others who haven't heard it, nor are they concerned about the mission of evangelism. It's just keeping the church going, whatever it takes to keep the church going. There are two key biblical teachings that need to be emphasized if we are to be convinced that people need the Lord. And the first of those, as I've already hinted at, is that Jesus is the only way to God. That's not a popular teaching these days. It's branded as exclusivist or sectarian. But if you believe Jesus' own words, you have to believe it. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's pretty exclusive, but those are his words. Peter preached concerning Jesus, and there is no salvation, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. Now, some would say that's being intolerant of other beliefs, but salvation through Christ is actually the most tolerant message in the world. Most religions require that you do something or don't do something to please God. And if you please God, then you get the reward. But the good news message concerning Christ is all-inclusive. Anyone, anyone can receive the promise of eternity with God through Jesus Christ. It's by his grace that's, that's possible. Not by what we do or don't do, but by his grace. Not, not that what we do or don't do isn't important, but it's not, it's not the means of our salvation. In a video based on his book, 316 Stories of Hope, Max Lucado illustrates the odd nature of the statement that all religions lead to God. He says, can all approaches to God be correct? How can all religions lead to God when they are all so different? We don't tolerate such logic in other matters. We don't pretend that all flights lead to Rome. Imagine your response to a travel agent who proclaimed they do. You tell him you need a flight to Rome, Italy, so he looks on his screen and he offers, well, there's a, there's a flight to Sydney, Australia at 6 a.m. Does it go to Rome? No, but it offers good food and movies. But I need to go to Rome. He says, well, let's, let me suggest Southwest Airlines. Southwest Airlines flies to Rome? No, but they win awards for being on time. Finally, you're getting frustrated, so you re reiterate, I need one flight that's going to take me to Rome, one place. And the agent says, sir, all flights lead to Rome. 
Well, you know better than that. I know better than that. It takes a different flight to go to a different city. Every flight does not go to Rome, and every path does not lead to God. Our witness concerning Jesus will not sound very convincing if we're not convinced ourselves that the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. That's simple. Another biblical teaching that needs to be emphasized if we are to be convinced that people need the Lord is... And here's another one that'll shake up a few people. The hell is a real place and real people will go there. Matthew Thomas tells the story of walking toward the United Nations building in New York City when he came to a street evangelist who was trying to get the attention of passersby by warning them of the wrath to come. He roared, I warn you there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And an older woman in the crowd shouted rather snidely, Sir, I have no teeth. Not missing a lick, the evangelist replied, Lady, teeth will be provided. <laughs> but hell is no laughing matter, of course. It was a major theme in Jesus' preaching. In fact, he talked more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. He says in Matthew 10, 28, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. He wanted us to know, as he wanted those to know in his, life, in his day, that hell is real. And real people will spend eternity there if they reject the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yes, we're more likely to be convinced that people need the Lord when we understand the biblical teaching that the only way to heaven is through Christ and that hell is a real place where real people will one day go if they're without Christ. Finally, to have more people like Andrew, we will also need to be compelled, and here's the key, by the love of Christ. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Here's the first part of that text from the message. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. Think about that. Is love for others, for Christ, the first and last thing in everything we do? On August 9th, 1993, a 31-year-old woman, Sophia White, burst into a hospital nursery at USC Medical Center in Los Angeles wheeling a 38 caliber pistol. She was gunning for Elizabeth Staten, a nurse whom she accused had stolen her husband. Staten fled, but she was shot by uh, Sophia, so, uh, and uh, twice, in fact, once in the wrist and once in the, in the stomach. The attacker pursued her after she fleed, and just as she walked into the emergency room with her gun, ready to use it again, Nurse Black walked calmly up to her and hugged her, said comforting words to her. Sophia said she didn't have anything to live for and that Staten had stolen her family. And Black said, you're in pain. I'm sorry about that, but everybody has pain in life. I understand, and we can work it out. 
As they talked, the hospital invader kept her finger on the trigger once she lifted it up to her head as if she was going to kill herself. And Nurse Black just pushed it down, continued to hold her. At last, Sophia White gave the, nurse, the gun to the nurse. She was disarmed by a hug, by some understanding, and by some compassion. Later, she told an AP reporter, I saw a sick person, and I had to take care of her. That's how we need to look on those who are worn down, who have been beaten down by sin, by troubles in their lives, by people who have abused them, people who are broken inside, who need care, who need the love and compassion of Christ through us. That has to be our motivation. You see, when you are compelled by Christ's love and someone crosses your path who doesn't know about his love, that's not an interruption. That's an appointment. And how you respond to that appointment can make all the difference in that person's life. We know where to find unconditional love, but so many others do not. And we're appointed to be Christ's ambassadors, Paul says, to tell them. One close with the lyrics to a song that I think sum up this message, Each One, Reach One. It's written by Bobby Mason. If we, if we each one reach one, the message is unchanging. Go ye into all the world and share the love of Jesus far away or door to door. You see, just like somebody told you that Jesus loves you so, you must tell someone who will tell someone until the whole world knows that each one can reach one. And as we follow after Christ, we all can lead one. We can lead one to the Savior. So our question is, will I be one who tells someone who will then tell someone and on and on, until the whole world knows. And that's how it's going to be done. It's not going to be done with bigger church buildings and more entertainment. It's going to be done when Christians, one by one, reach out to those who don't know Christ. One at a time. I'm not going to tell you to make a New Year's resolution about that because according to U.S. News, 80% of those resolutions fail by the second week in February. <laughs> but just make a mental note, a commitment, that I'm going to be more alert to those appointments, those opportunities. I'm not asking you to go out and go down your neighborhood and knock door to door to find some. It's asking or challenging you to take advantage of the appointments that God places in your path. And I encourage each one to reach one, to reach out to at least one person this coming year with that love and compassion. Then the song we're going to sing really, really says how that gets done step by step, one at a time, doing what God has called us to do and be. Let's stand as we sing that song. It's an opportunity for making decisions for Christ as well. And we welcome that. If God has led you through the witness of others, or just through your experience, or for whatever reason you came today, that you have a decision that you need to make others know, let others know about and pray for you. We invite you to come.